0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to tune in our current series, Assembly Required, Building a Case for Church, where we'll see what the Psalms teach us about a life of faith, lived-in community. I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. You guys ever been dirty? I mean the kind of dirty that is greasy and grimy and grass stains from head to toe. Have you ever been dirty like that? Maybe the kind of dirty that you'd say, I'm not even sure what color this shirt was when I put it on this morning. That kind of dirty. The kind of dirty that you think maybe if I take a shower today and tonight and tomorrow morning and tomorrow at noon and tomorrow at night, I might be clean. That kind of dirty. Perhaps it was a house project. You remember the time. Maybe yard work, fixing up the car. You get that thing and you rub, you get it all over you. Sometimes we can get incredibly dirty, can't we? You see, we're fortunate here in 21st century America that we can then take off those dirty clothes, hop in the shower, and be good to go. But what about a deeper kind of cleansing? The kind that engages you at a deeper level. When you would say, I still am not clean after the shower, after the clothes have been washed, I'm still dirty. When you know that the dirt is deeper than what's on the outside. What do you do then? You see, today we're going to be looking, we're going to be examining a portion of Scripture that speaks to the story of a man who understood this level of dirt, this level of cleansing that was needed. The man's name is David, and we're going to be hearing his words in just a moment. But before we turn to God's Word, let's come before our Heavenly Father in prayer. Let's pray together. Gracious God, you have called us to this place today to sing your praises. You have called us to this place today to worship you. And so, God, it is our heart's desire to do so in spirit and in truth, to engage deeply with the truth of your word and to allow your Holy Spirit to penetrate our hearts and our minds today. So, God, would you meet with us? Would you meet with us now as we open your word? God, we need eyes to see the truth of it. We need ears to hear the truth that's found in its pages, and then we need humble hearts before you to live out this truth in the week ahead. And we ask for this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Assembly Required, that is the name of our summer sermon series as we're looking at some of the more prominent psalms. And how they encourage us when we gather together for corporate worship. Now, Woodside Elder Abe Phillip kicked off the series last Sunday. For those of you who were here, you had the privilege of hearing Abe preach God's word as Bonnie and I and the kids we were able to get away for a family vacation up in my hometown of Ludington. And let me just tell you, it was glorious. It was glorious. So, last Sunday, Abe began by kicking off this series by looking at Psalm 1 and the foundation of God's word that we have when we gather for corporate worship. This morning, we're going to be looking at another important aspect of corporate worship. It's something that is often overlooked, but we're going to engage with it in a pretty deep fashion as we turn to Psalm 51 here in just a moment. But as we turn there, as you find it on your mobile device, as you engage with Psalm 51, I want to point your attention to something that rests at the top of the text. It's above the text. It says, To the choirmaster, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And I might say, well, what is that? It's not a verse. It doesn't have a number attached to it. That's something called a superscription. And what it does is it offers us some measure of context. You know that I love context. It's so critical for understanding any portion of Scripture that you and I might be reading to understand what's gone before, what comes after. What's gone on before in this text is so very critical. It's a psalm of David, that's what we're going to be reading. But what's gone on before caused God to send a prophet named Nathan. And then there's also a woman named Bathsheba. So as we consider that superscription, you and I must ask the question, well, wait a second, there's a lot more happening in this story than I might first be aware of. I I might just look at that story and go, okay, wait a minute. I don't know the whole story, so let's engage with that a little bit. Why would a prophet go to David? Who in the world is Bathsheba? And what did it mean that David had gone to her? Well, the story, as most of us know, is an Old Testament story. It's familiar to many of us. It's a popular story, if you will. Some of us may not be familiar with it, so I'm going to go ahead and refresh your memory. David was the king of Israel. Some might even argue he was the best king that Israel had ever had. He was chosen by God. He was anointed by God. He's even described in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. That's pretty lofty was chosen. He was anointed. He's a man who desires God's own heart. However, and it's a big however, however in a time when kings were to go off to war David stayed home. He didn't go off to war. And one evening he was out on the top of his palace overlooking the city and he looked down and he saw a beautiful woman. Her name was Bathsheba. The problem was she was the wife of one of David's most faithful and best soldiers, a man named Uriah. David, as he was looking down upon her, he lusted after her. So what he did was he called Bathsheba to the palace. And there he committed adultery with her and not just adultery, she also became pregnant. But we know the story goes on from there, doesn't it? It doesn't just stop as if that sin wasn't enough. The story continues because David then does what we all do when we sin. We try to cover it up. So he did the unthinkable. He arranged for Bathsheba's husband to be killed in battle. You find that story in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It says, and when the morning was over... The mourning is in mourning the loss of Uriah. David sent and brought Bathsheba to his house, and she became his wife, and she bore him a son. And then here's what it says. It says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Those are heavy, ominous words. They displeased the Lord. You see, David had deceived a nation. He had covered up his sin in such a way that he could get beyond it in the culture, perhaps, but he could not get beyond it in view of God. He had not deceived God. So God sent a prophet named Nathan to confront David about this sin. Church, David was exposed And he was cut to the heart. In the midst of his sin, he was cut to the heart. And so David confessed his sin. He confessed his sin. And Scripture tells us that God responded by granting him forgiveness. We know this through numerous portions of the Scriptures. But he also acknowledged that David would experience consequences for that sin. And so it was from this place, this place of extreme brokenness, this place of extreme exposure of his sin and his mess, and the, all the things that he had done wrong in his life were exposed before people. And that's when he writes. So I want you to grab your Bibles. We're going to look at Psalm 51. Hear the words of David. It's a long psalm. So track with me as we read it together. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. And then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise." I love that line. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Sacrifices of God or a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem, and then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar David's words they should be a source of hope for every single person here today every single person watching on Facebook today they should be hopeful Because what we have here is not just a poem, but it is a poem that we can see clearly that cleansing and joy come from confession. Cleansing and joy come when you and I confess before a holy God. Now what's true for us to engage with is that's true for men, that's true for women, that's true for children. When we confess... God brings cleansing when we confess. That's what we see unfolding as we move through this text. As you take a journey through this text, you begin in one place and end in another place. So let's go through that journey. Let's pick it up at verse 1 as we dig in a little more deeply. God says, have mercy, or, uh, David says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David begins by acknowledging that God is holy. he needs him. He needs his love and his mercy. And he knows those are the attributes of God. And so he begins with a high view of God. Then you see a dramatic progression for all of us to read, all of us to engage with, all of us to experience in our own relationship with God. And I want you to know it begins with a posture of humility. It begins with a posture of humility. Let's look at verses 3 through 6. You'll see what I mean. For I know, David says, my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Do you guys catch what he's saying there? He's like, I'm, I'm dirty. I am dirty. I need cleansing. So that you may be justified in your words, David continues, and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being. You teach me wisdom. You teach me wisdom, God, in the secret heart. Four times in that text, David acknowledges his own sin. He's aware of it. And this helps you and I see the first step on the journey of cleansing. And here it is. We are to know and own our sin. You and I must know and own our own sin. David here is painfully aware of the sin in his own heart. In fact, he even says, it is ever before me. It's always there. I know it. I'm familiar with it. You sense the man's anguish, the man's grief in this text. How many of us have that same feeling? Seriously, who among us couldn't pray those words today? For I know my transgressions, they are ever before me. That's a reality for many of us, isn't it? Now, to be clear, David was the king of Israel. You're not. David had committed adultery. He had killed a man and he would covered it all up. That is a pretty impressive resume of sin. And yet the fact of the matter is our hearts contain the core of the same sins. We lust. We sin. We rage. And we cover it up. You see, what David is referring to is the the idea that sin is overwhelming him. But what's important for you and I to see is in the midst of David's acknowledgement of the sin, he's not just wallowing in the sin. What he does is he recognizes that it is first an offense against God. That's who he sinned against. This is why in our text, David throws himself at the mercy of his heavenly father. Because if he is not forgiven by God, then he will not truly experience genuine forgiveness. So, I want us to think about it this way. The first offense is vertical. The nature of our sin is first an offense towards God, and that's a vertical relationship. And then, once our sin has been exposed and opened and poured out before a holy God, then we go and we consider how our sin is offended and hurt and wounded and taken advantage of those who are in our lives. That's horizontal. First, we have to recognize that it is a vertical sin, but the sin also impacts us horizontally in our relationship with others. Another important aspect of what we see here in verse 6, it's important for you and I to grab a hold of what David declares here. He says, you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. What he's referring to here are the deepest recesses of our souls. That's the place that only God knows. That's the place that when you put your head on the pillow at night, your spouse does not know the struggle. Your parents do not know the struggle. Your children do not know the pain and the struggle of the sin that you're walking in in that moment. That's why David says, I have to examine my heart before God. I have to own my sin. I have to cry out for forgiveness. And then David acknowledges that God does, in fact, meet him in that holy place. Now, why would he do that? Because he desires inward purity of his people. God desires inward purity of his people, and that's precisely what the problem is for you and I, isn't it? Our thoughts, our actions, our responses, our cover-ups, they lack purity. Instead, what they do, they remind us of our need to take a true and honest self-assessment of our hearts, to know and own our own sin. Church, I know that's heavy. And I realize you're saying, wow, pastor, I'm really glad I came to church today. Really encouraged right about now. You might be feeling the weight of your sin in this moment because of what David is communicating. And I want to say this in the most pastoral way that I can. Good. 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 Because as David helps us see in our text, it is good, it is healthy, it is right for us to examine the magnitude and the significance of the sin that is in the human heart so that we can run to him for forgiveness. So that we can run to him with our honest, heartfelt pleas. Let's dig a little deeper. Let's continue on in the passage, picking it up at verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Did you guys hear all of the the pleas of David's heart? He says, purge me, wash me, blot it out, create in me a clean heart. Renew that right spirit within me. These pleas, they provide examples of our second step on the journey today. That you and I should beg, we should cry out, we should plea for transformation of our hearts. You and I should beg for inner transformation. You see, when David begs to God to cleanse him with something called hyssop, I want you to know that's something that most of us kind of read through and go, yeah, I don't know what hyssop is, so I'm just going to keep rolling. Well, I want to stop there for a moment because hyssop is very important for us in understanding the context of of what we're reading, understanding the significance, because what hyssop was, was it was a plant that had brush-like qualities, and so it was often used to dip in things and to, to paint things, to sprinkle blood over the doorpost we find in Exodus, for the sprinkling over the scroll of God's covenant people. And a priestly ceremony was used to cleanse a leper, and often it was used for purification rites. Hyssop is often connected with the idea of being cleansed by blood. Being cleansed by blood. And so we understand that David's plea, his begging, was in fact to be cleansed by the blood of a mediating sacrifice in this moment. Now, we obviously know this is the Old Testament. And while David may not have fully understood how God would ultimately do that, through the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross, he was in fact placing his hope in God and in the grace that he would offer him as he came in repentance. and So David's plea is one of inner transformation. And church family, this should be our heart's cry as well. Every sinful man, every sinful woman, every sinful child today should call out to God and beg for him to cleanse our souls afresh. To cleanse us afresh. Now some of you might be thinking, wow, this is like really spiritual. how How does this come and break down in my world? What does this look like when you talk about a transformation, a change, a cleansing? Well, the truth is we see cleansing and transformation take place all around us continually. One example is I remember when we first moved here and we would drive down M59, there was an old Kroger there. You guys remember that building? Do you guys get out much? That old Kroger that was right over there. You guys remember that? Okay, it was big, it was old, and it's not there anymore. In its place is a brand new multi-million dollar Kroger. That company invested in the community. What was once old and broken is now new and transformed. That is an image of what we're talking about. When things change and get refreshed and renewed and they are transformed. You see, this is the type of cleansing the type of transformation that you and I should be asking God for, we should be crying out to our Heavenly Father for, to purge us, to cleanse us, to create in us a new heart. And now as people of the New Testament, as people who have heard the gospel message, we know that this does not happen by the swipe of a branch of hyssop. But instead it takes place... Because of the blood of Christ, the blood that Jesus spared for you and for me on a cross. Jesus gave his life as a payment for my sin and for yours. He gave his life as a payment to cleanse you and to cleanse me. And he rose once again for all who believe to give us life, to give us life. Now, this leads us to an obvious question. What happens next? How does this psalm finish? Let's turn to verse 13 to to find out. It says, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. For you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Where we began with a man who is completely and utterly broken, We now transition as he's been transformed to a point of celebration. We move from an acknowledgement of sin to a point of celebration. And this helps you and I see the third step on the journey of cleansing. As believers, we can celebrate God's salvation. As believers, you and I can experience and celebrate God's salvation. That's why it says, deliver me, O God. O God, what? Of my salvation. You are the source of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. You see, David's heart has been transformed. That heavy, burdened heart has been transformed. But it's not just transformed to experience it. He doesn't want to just walk in the ways of God. He wants to tell others about it. He's so filled with joy that his desire is to tell others about it that others might walk in that joy. I love that. Pastor and theologian James Montgomery Boyce explains what's happening here and the transformation that can happen in our hearts with such significance. Here's what he writes. He says, Many think that the way for joy for a good time is by sinning, They think that godliness is, in fact, dull. The opposite is the case. Sin brings sorrow. Righteousness brings rejoicing. Righteousness brings rejoicing. And so as we close, I want to remind you of the journey that we've been on today that as we have worked through Psalm 51, it begins with an honest look at sin, followed by repentance, and then a heart that is transformed that leads to celebration. But it's not a celebration of your strength or mine. It's not a celebration of our works. But what it is, is it's a joy that God's people have because we have been transformed and we continue to be transformed in him. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.